Hello, 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 my friends. Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, a queer and gender affirming parenting podcast for anyone with littles in their lives. I'm your host, Linz Amer. Today we have a special episode. We recorded this episode live, which is uh, not in person, virtually live, for the Queer Teachers Rock Conference that Queer Kid Stuff put on in the middle of October. It was this my gosh, really, really beautiful conference that we put together for queer and trans educators. And we did a support group. We did a beautiful keynote from Key Gross of Woke Kindergarten. We did a cybersecurity workshop with the folks at Tall Poppy who really, really know their stuff. And we did a panel. And it it was just an incredibly beautiful experience. I, I'm so glad that we got to spend a day and a little bit with some incredible queer and trans educators. So if anyone who was at the conference is listening to this today, thank you so, so much for showing up and building this queer and trans educator community with us at Queer Kid Stuff. It was so, so meaningful to me and to Lee, my education director who helped me put the conference on. And it was just a really, really incredible experience. And I think we're going to be working on future programming to benefit queer and trans educators because y'all really need it right now, really need support and really need this these community spaces to talk about what we're going through right now. And uh, I was just so glad that we were able to do that and that we're going to be able to continue some of that programming. So all that said, uh, we were able to record and bring to you all the panel that we did for the Queer Teachers Rock Conference. So the panel that you're going to hear includes Dr. Josh Jenkins, Emmy Aguilar, friend of the pod, and Willie Villapando. And we really, really dig into it. So I hope you enjoy hearing from the Queer Teachers Rock panel with these incredible, incredible guests of queer and trans educators. Before we get to that conversation, a little bit of quick business for you, as per usual, please pre-order the Rainbow Parenting book. You can pre-order it wherever you get your books out there in the world. My personal fave is bookshop.org. We love them. They support indie bookstores. You can also go to your local indie bookstore, your favorite indie bookstore, and put it a pre-order for it there. They'll do that for you. Hopefully, you can also get it at the library. Request it at your local library. That is also awesome for book sales. First-time authors like me, it's so, so important to get those pre-order numbers to tell our publishers that uh, people want to read our book. <laughs> so if you um, are interested in getting that book, please, please, please go and pre-order that. We're almost six months out from the book publishing date in May, late May, May 30th is our date. Uh, so you've got plenty of time to pre-order until then. So yeah, wherever you get your books. We are also doing an end of year merch push. We have a t-shirt that I am so excited about. The design is a friend of Teddy's and it's got Teddy and me on the shirt in front of a yellow brick road because we were really inspired by the phrase a friend of Dorothy, which was a phrase, if y'all don't know your LGBT history, please look this up. It's very important. Uh, back when The Wizard of Oz came out, it was not a great time to be queer. If you've watched the recent A League of Their Own series, they actually nod to this. But because it was so tough to be openly out, there were code words that people used to find queer community with each other. And one of those phrases was, are you a friend of Dorothy's? So we thought that we would do our own little spin on that, especially because it's so tough being a queer and trans kid right now, queer trans person, really, that I thought it would be cool, you know, if you're a friend of Teddy's, you can um, talk about that and bring that phrase and that code into uh, today's kind of modern LGBTQ plus history. The shirt's really cute. You can get in a crew neck. There are grown up and kid sizes so you can match your kid and be queer kid stuff fans together uh so check that out over on bonfire it's in the show notes um so check that out and then one last piece of news is that uh we're making teddy's book club into a monthly thing that i am really excited about so we're doing teddy's book club this month on the 19th the 19th of november we're going to be singing songs and and sharing doing a little show and tell and getting to know each other and i 
I'm going to be reading Kape Mahu, which is a beautiful, beautiful new picture book that's based on the short film of the same name. It's an indigenous legend about how four extraordinary individuals of dual male and female spirit, or Mahu, which is essentially the third gender uh, identity that's specific to Native Hawaiian um, culture, and uh, how these dual male and female spirit or mahu brought healing arts from Tahiti to Hawaii. And uh, I'm really excited to read it and share it with everyone who comes to Teddy's Book Club. So if you are a Queer Kid Stuff Patreon member, you can head over to the Patreon page and we're putting up a code for you this week so you can attend for free. And if you are not a Queer Kid Stuff Patreon member, that is A-OK. We have an Eventbrite that you can sign up for. It's just $10 for the full session. And uh, we'll also do a recording of that that you can see later if you have to miss the time. I believe it's going to be at one o'clock on Saturday, November 19th. So I hope I can see you there. Please head over to the Eventbrite and make sure you RSVP for patrons and use that code. Let us know you're coming. Uh, And I'm really excited to share a little virtual space and start doing these on a monthly basis, sharing stories and sharing a little bit of virtual community space with uh, parents and families. All right, I am so excited for you all to hear what we talked about on this panel. So without further ado, it's enough of me talking. Let's get to the conversation. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome. This is the final session of the Queer Teachers Rock Conference. Thank you to everyone who has been hanging with us all day long. Oh, my goodness. And this is one that I have just been so, so excited for. This is our panel, Teachers Together, and we are talking to some fantastic humans today who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. First up is... Willie. Willie is an early childhood educator, consultant, and childhood advocate. His passions lie in the spheres of gender creativity and LGBTQ plus acceptance amongst young children and their families. Willie graduated in 2021 with his MA in early childhood education, trauma studies, and thus advocates at the intersection of gender, sexuality, and trauma. Next up is Josh. Josh Jenkins is an elementary literacy specialist with over a decade of teaching experience. They earned their master's from Harvard Graduate School of Education in Language and Literacy and a doctorate of education from Teachers College, Columbia University with a focus in elementary literacy education. Dr. Jenkins in the house. And then we have Emmy. Emmy Aguilar is a Quahuatecan educator, artist, and community leader. This means that she is a Native American person who teaches theater and other art stuff to people interested in learning. She also gathers people together to push for positive change in her community. Thank you, first of all, so much to our panelists for being here. You all are folks that I really, really admire in the queer and trans educator space. And I'm so excited that you all are getting to talk to this awesome audience of queer and trans educators and also are able to talk to me and each other. And I'm really, really excited to hear what y'all got to say about what's going on in the space. Can we just quickly go around and say your pronouns and how you identify to the group? Amy, if you want to start us off. Yeah. So um, my pronouns are she and they. I identify as queer and two-spirit. And I'll pass it to Josh. Hi, my pronouns are they, them. I um, am trans femme and um, I also use queer as well. And we'll pass to Willie. My pronouns are uh, he, him, and I'm possibly exploring they, them. Um, um, I identify as gay and queer. Amazing. We love an exploration and a journey moment. Beautiful. So before we get started, Let's just acknowledge that like outside of our queerness and our transness and and our educator identity that we are all just human beings living in the world right now, as it is good and bad. So I wanted to just like start with a quick check in. How are you doing? How's the school year been so far? How are you doing in the classroom, out of the classroom, just like in your day to day lives that isn't teaching adjacent, maybe is? Do you miss the classroom? Just Tell me how things are going. I know that was a lot. Uh, Willie, why don't we start with you? Um, hi. I'm so, I'm excited. I really am excited to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, this year's definitely been a complete, a different year, I think, for all of us. Um, for me, I'm doing a lot of reevaluating the, the spaces I want to be in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at different ways I can do advocacy with what I'm passionate about outside of the preschool classroom, but still working with the, um, the youngins. I mean, it's, it's been an interesting year, but it's definitely been a good year so far, I think. Mm. 
Beautiful. Thanks for the check-in. All right. Josh, how you doing? I am in a new position this year. And so, so far it's a much better and very different year than I've had in probably the past five or six years. Um, I think that's for a lot of reasons. Um, I finally am in probably what I consider the safest and most supportive work environment I've been in in quite some time. I also finally finished my PhD. And so I have some time back that I had been giving away uh, for the past five years. I, I'm not in the classroom or even just in school anymore. I'm in a district-based position. And so it's a really different experience and it's a big adjustment, but it's also, I think it's what I needed at least for right now, um, because it it is feeling different for me. Mm, beautiful. We'll definitely dig on into that as we move through these questions. Emmy, tell us how you're doing. I'm doing good. I am also in a new position this year. So I did leave the classroom um, at the end of January, and I started a new position in February. Um, and so that's going really well. And I still am able to teach. I work mostly, you know, with adults. I do a lot of trainings and workshops. And so that's really different and really, you know, rewarding also. But I definitely miss the kids, right? You know, at the end of the day, teaching is my number one love and kids are my number one love. So, you know, I'm always out here like advocating for them and just trying to make sure that you know, the world is better for those young people that are coming up. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that. All right. So the elephant in the room and the, something that we've been talking about just like all day long is that the news right now is rough, especially for queer and trans educators. And I want to talk a little bit about how you're just handling your mental health throughout all the news and continuing with your day to day. And I'm also curious about like, why you might have left the classroom or like why you've continued to stay in the classroom, especially holding your identities in educational spaces right now. So I would love to start off with Willie. I mean, for me, it's at least this year, it's been a lot about limiting the take-in. I know it's something we hear a lot of is kind of limiting your social media. Um, and I mean, I will say I've never done that. I've never been, I'm like, I'll be fine. I'll just keep taking, I'll keep, it's my escape. I get on in social media to get away, but it's just as harmful. At least for me, it's been just as harmful. So um, anybody who's been following me might notice I haven't posted very much the last couple of months, as opposed to before when I was posting two to three times a week. And I've really kind of felt more time to get away from that, that zone. And then for me, looking at kind of the classroom, I'm still in the classroom, but I am evaluating leaving different situations that have happened um, within my own school site. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tough, it's a tough call to make for sure. And I'm sure that Josh and Emmy can speak to that as well. Josh, do you want to take it next? Yeah. So I did make the decision to leave the school that I was working in last year, which is due in part to personal circumstances and also that the role I was in was um, the funding for it was cut but it ended up being sort of like a positive thing for me in that I needed to find a new position anyway. You know, this is the first year that I've really been out as myself at work um, and not just like masking as a cis gay man. And the last three or four years as I've transitioned were really difficult for me, um, particularly because of all of the masking I was doing at work, right? It was a layer of protection for myself because I was working in school environments that were not supportive or safe. I mean, policy-wise, yes, I live in New York City and the policy, you know, has layers of protection, but that was not the lived reality of being in those spaces um, whatsoever. I'd love to say that it was with more purpose than it was, but I ended up in a school district-based position of one of the districts in, in New York City, not on purpose. I applied for a position and I was assigned to this particular district, meaning that I could have landed in a group of colleagues in the district office who also did not lay conditions that felt safe and supportive, but fortunately I, I did. And so the visibility that being uh, trans feminine in a district-based office where I face 23 other schools as a district leader is really awesome um, in terms of the things that I can advocate for um, our queer and trans youth and, and staff. It's also very burdensome um, because I become a little bit of like the person who's trans in the district and, and I, I do feel that as well. Um, but it's been really great having a, a superintendent that I report to who 
if I send an email to district office staff about a particular issue of gender inclusive guidelines for students and staff, um, just as like a little reminder for them, she will send it out to all of the principals, assistant principals, parent coordinators, social workers in the district. And then I also support seven schools directly myself. And so I'm in those seven schools. And so I have direct contact with a lot of um, school-based staff as well. Mm. And so it it is a lot. Um, you know, I feel like on the one hand, I, I sit in a lot of privilege living and working in New York City schools in the sense that we do have a lot of policy that protects trans and queer students as well as teachers but the reality is that the policy is not really enforced or supported, and there's not a lot of professional learning provided to school leaders or teachers around how to make their classrooms safe spaces for queer and trans kids. And so, you know, and school starts after Labor Day in New York City. And so I would say, you know, in the past month and a half, what I have witnessed is I am the first like visibly trans person so many folks have ever met in their lives and they're just like, what do we do with you? And I'm also one of the first people who use they, them pronouns that so many of these teachers and building leaders have met. And so it's just been a lot of modeling and, and being direct with them about literally just logistically how you use they, them pronouns. Cause people are just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I'm the first person they're seeing, but while that can be exhausting, you know, I, my hope is that it makes it easier for kids in those buildings or or folks that I'm encountering that they meet next. So, mm, yeah, I can absolutely totally relate to like how much emotional labor that is, but also like how it can be fulfilling in in a lot of ways to like be able to be that source for a lot of folks. And um, I'm really excited that you're in a leadership position. I think that that's that's a that's a really cool space for trans femininity in in education and also like for your expertise. Um, cool, Emmy. How are you doing with your mental health? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, when I was in the classroom, right, so I'm in territory that is currently being occupied by the state of Texas. And so there's a lot of um, homophobic and anti-trans legislation, right? Um, it's a very hostile environment politically, um, but it's always been that way, right? There's nothing new. You know, there's that layer and then there's the layer of like racism, right, on a daily basis um, and erasure. So I was dealing with those, both of those things. You know, I would encounter a lot of homophobia from parents mostly, you know, who would for some reason call the principal and for some reason the principal would think that it was appropriate each time to like call me into their office and let me know about it. And I never understood the choice for that, right? Like I would rather not know the complaints that homophobic parents have about me. What is that doing for me to know that? <laughs> you know, I don't care. Um, so there was that. And then, you know, just witnessing, right, homophobia on an ongoing basis that young people are learning from their families, which is really unfortunate. What was good is that I was always able to be that person, right, that queer and trans kids could come to, right? I started our school's GSA. So that was really awesome. And I was the theater teacher, right? So, like, <laughs> by default, here come the kids, right? <laughs> and at the same time, like having to like bear the brunt, right? As Josh was saying, of, of all of that all the time is emotionally exhausting and mentally exhausting. On top of that, right? Just being a teacher, right? Just the regular job of being a teacher at baseline is like the hardest job in the world, right? If anybody disagrees with that, I dare them to be a teacher, right? So, you know, I think that there's just a lot of challenges, you know, as I said, with being a teacher and then on top of it to experience homophobia, transphobia, racism, right? It just makes it exponentially harder. And so, right, all of that um, went into my decision to start, you know, thinking about how to leave the classroom. And I also just, I want to be in a thriving space, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to be in survival mode all the time. And so I'm like very lucky now that that's how I feel, right? I feel like I'm in a thriving space. So that's really good. Um, but it did come at a sacrifice, right? I had to leave my students who I love. But then, you know, now I would say definitely way better. <laughs> Mental health is way better and physical health too, right? Um, the like physical toll on my body. I don't know if other folks encounter that, but of being a teacher is a lot, right? Like just the logistical things of like, I consider it a privilege that I can go to the bathroom when I need to go to the bathroom, simple things like that. Or I can sit down when I am tired, I can sit down. So, um, 
I would say it's a lot better now for me. You know, I was a teacher for 10 years. So I'm just like grateful that that's my foundation. And now I have that in every role that I am in. I have that point of view and that mindset, right? Is always thinking about the young people and centering young people. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that like, there also is something to be said for y'all and like your ability to reach other teachers too, and like being able to exponentially influence other young children through um, using your expertise and your identities to speak to other educators, um, which is part of what we're doing now, but is like a lot of what your like work through social media does. Um, and I think that there's absolutely a lot to be said for that. And I'm, and I'm so, so glad that um, you're in a better mental health space. Because <laughs> I think that that's so important. Like we love the kids that we work with. And that is a huge part of what educators do and why we go into the field. Right. But like, also, it just really does take a mental and physical toll. And especially right now with everything going on. So I'm sure a lot of folks in the audience can relate to that. And we've already kind of touched on this a little bit throughout these stories, but I want to talk about it specifically around how you kind of handle any coming out moments that come up through the professional settings that you're in, whether you're in the classroom, have been in the classroom, or working with administration, because it sounds like most of you are out to some extent in your educational spaces. So I would love to talk through any kind of strategies that you found work best for you, because I think something that comes up with queer and trans educators is like, do I come out? How do I come out? Is it safe for me to come out? These are questions we're having on a day-to-day basis even. So I would love to hear maybe some strategies. And um, Josh, let's start with you on that one. Yeah, so I've been out as queer as a teacher probably for the last nine or 10 years, but only recently, you know, told people that I use they, them pronouns and, you know, will refer to myself as trans feminine when I'm misgendered to staff this year. And that was really because I was at sort of a crux of I'm either quitting my job and like starting fresh from scratch and something altogether where I just get to like be who I am from like day one forward, or like I have nothing to lose. And this is what I need to do if I'm going to continue having a career in education and find it fulfilling. And, you know, sort of circling back to the question about mental health, the result of me making that choice for myself this year is that I feel better about myself and about the work I'm doing more than I have in a really long time. Mm. Um, So it's just been, while it can also be burdensome, it's also an enormous burden lifted off to just show up at work and, and look the way I do and, and, and be who I am. Um, That said, I do think, you know, another ingredient in that decision is the one of time, right? I don't think I was ready to do what I did this year until this year. And it it did take time to feel confident and and who I was, not because I didn't know who I was, or I, I wasn't sure about that, but just in terms of thinking about how I would respond when people responded negatively. And so my strategy this year has been to sort of like beat people to making assumptions about me as proactively as I can. So when I found out that I was working in the district office, I sent an email to every other person who worked in the district office with the name that I go by at work, my pronouns and my email signature, and, you know, just tucked all of that in before I ever met any of them. And, you know, like some people half read an email and and didn't see some of those things and that's fine, but others of them did. And that has been enormously helpful. The other strategy is if you know that there are people who are safe and supportive to maybe come out to those folks first or know that they do support you. And, and, you know, I always go back to sort of like the quote about like clear is kind from Brene Brown, like tell those allies and supportive people what you need for them to show up for you. And so I had a direct conversation that was like, I need you when you hear people misgendering me to step in if I'm not in the room or when they're talking about me in a meeting and I'm not there to to correct them, especially if I haven't met them, because that's going to make it easier for me when I go into their school or their classroom or whatever. Awesome. I love the idea of the email. I feel like so many people like first get introduced to my gender through just like my email signature. And that like does a 
good amount of the legwork for me when I'm just like talking to like anyone new. Like I, I do teach like early childhood music classes, like as like a little bit of a side gig. And um, this is the first year I'm going into a school where they like know my pronouns because I was emailing them and they like actually noticed in my email signature and like have at least like the administration have like started gendering me correctly. And I was like, Ooh, I can like actually bring my full self to this job for once. So that was always really nice. Willie, I would love to hear about how uh, you come out in classrooms or don't come out. So I, I want to add to something that Josh said earlier. And I also live in a very privileged area. I live in Southern California. And so it's, it is a lot easier to come out in this area. That being said, <laughs> I don't think I necessarily came out to my department in the most conventional way. I came out to my department through a virtual summit that I sent to my director and she sent to all of my department to let them know that I did. (laughs) I don't necessarily suggest that. Um, For me, it worked out, but (laughs) I don't necessarily suggest that. This year, I am in a totally new school. I, I still work for the same department. We just have different areas at different schools. Um, and so I've gotten the chance to kind of reintroduce myself because a lot of these people don't know who I am or didn't know who I was before this year. Um, that also being said, it has been interesting going into somewhere that they didn't necessarily know who I was going in because I am seeing some of the stereotypes and some of the assumptions coming in um, before I've had the chance to even explain who I am. Something I, my, my kids, when we talk about gender and we talk about sexuality and stuff are very on a very basic level because I work in preschool. I work with two, three, four, five-year-olds. And so their understanding of gender tends to be very basic. And so I do things like I wear nail polish to start a conversation and I do stuff like that. This year, this has been an issue with, um, some caregivers and some, as they've noticed it and started to make assumptions and even have had some, um, caregivers decide that they didn't want their child to be in my classroom because they are making assumptions about what I was going to do and what I was going to say because of it. So this year, I'm kind of falling more on the side of not completely coming out very quickly. It hasn't proven to be very good yet. Um, At least it's not the most, I don't want to say safe because I don't think I'm not in a safe environment, but it hasn't been the most like proactive or comfortable for me yet. So I don't have a ton to add to this question, but yeah, so it's been a little interesting this year. No, and thank you for sharing that with us. And I think it is important to think through, like, is it even safe for me to come out in this environment? Is it, like, safe for my mental health to come out in this environment? And, like, not even just, like, physical safety. Just, like, is this a place that is going to be hostile to me? And I think that that's a consideration we have to have as queer and trans folks in educational settings. Like, is this something I even want to get into? Is this worth the time and the emotional labor for me to do this? And I think that that's a big, big question that folks have been having, especially this year. Emmy, do you want to chat a little bit about your philosophy on uh, coming out or not coming out in educational settings? Yeah, um, I'm I'm always out in educational settings. I mean, I'm always out. I feel like even though, you know, I have encountered a lot of homophobia in schools, right? I would rather like take that than have, a, you know, be a harder space for my queer and trans students. So I do that. I mean, it just depends on the you know relationships I would have with um, other staff, other teachers, right? Whether or not I would like have you know more of like a collegial relationship with them, just kind of surface level, or if I had like a real authentic relationship with them. I mean, I was out in general, right? But like whether or not that was a topic of conversation just depended on my actual relationship with them. Some folks, right, like are just uncomfortable talking to you about your life if they don't understand or if they themselves are homophobic, right? So I would say, though, like, you know, every space I've ever worked in has been really cis-centered. And so there's always some challenges there just with like what the default way of thinking is, what the default way of like relating is, right? And so that's definitely a challenge. It's like the things that are assumed about everybody or the things that are, um, yeah, just a lot of assumptions. Um, It's definitely depending on, you know, folks' comfort level. And at the end of the day, right, it's like really not anyone's business. (laughs) Like if you want to be out, you can be out. And if you don't, that's your choice. I think um, nobody should feel pressured um, to be out and yeah, at the end of the day, it's like totally up to you. But I always felt most comfortable being out with my students, right? So mm. I was always like very open with them and would allow them to ask me questions, right? About my personal life, because I feel like it's important for them to have folks that are older than them that they can ask those questions of 
So for example, like I'm non-monogamous. And so young people would be like, what does that mean? Like, what is your, like, they're interested in family structure. Right. And so I would talk to them about that, but I, that's not a conversation I would have with colleagues because a lot of colleagues get very uncomfortable just as an example. Beautiful. I I think like coming back to like the kids are like kind of our greatest allies in so many ways is uh, something that's been coming up all day through the conference, but also is like, just like respecting young people and like understanding that they're gonna maybe like be our best advocates in a lot of ways. And also like we're there for them, right? Like that's so much of what all of this is. So since you all have been educators for like a hot second, (laughs) I'm really curious about how like this year and like the last like year or so has felt and like the pattern of what's like kind of happening to queer and trans educators over time. So I'm like, I know that like I'm thinking about like this past year has like been truly, truly awful news wise and like mental health and all of that. But also like so much of this has been happening for the last like six years, right? And then like even before that, like what has it looked like over the past like decade of education. So I'm really interested in looking, we've been talking like micro, like situational um, over the last couple of questions, but I'm really curious, like, what have you noticed in terms of like trends and differences over kind of like zooming out and this like macro look at like education over the last like basically decade? Um, Does anyone want to start that one off? I know it's a big question. Um, I've noticed in Texas, I've had more students that are openly out So that's interesting Mm. considering the climate being more openly homophobic and openly transphobic. I think maybe a piece of that is resistance to what's happening, which is really amazing. There's a lot of parents that are becoming more educated, right, about identity. And so that's really helpful for young people to be able to come out earlier or like even explore who they are earlier, even consider those things, right? And to lift up that veil of cognitive dissonance of we're all straight and we're all cis, right? So that's awesome. And I also, it's really interesting because I remember back in like 2016, um, folks really having a lot of trouble with pronouns, right? Walking in the spaces and people were hearing about, you know, they, them pronouns, for example, or, or other pronouns for the first time. And myself being frustrated by like, you know, some of the ways that people were treating others. And now I'm noticing it's more normalized, right, for folks to just not misgender folks as much or to ask for pronouns or state their pronouns. So that's something else I've noticed that's helpful and positive. The flip side of that is people get stuck on pronouns. People get kind of, they like rest there, right? So they're like, oh, okay, so I'm I'm asking people their pronouns and I'm affirming their pronouns, therefore I'm not homophobic, therefore I'm not transphobic, right? And they're, right, like there's so much more than that. And so I need the, I need the education sphere to like move past that. And I'm seeing that right in, in theater spaces and art spaces. Um, they're kind of just resting there and the conversations are beyond that. Like, let's move past it. Right. We can honor folks pronouns and the work is like way beyond that. There's so much to undo beyond acknowledging people's existence. You know, like we need to move beyond just that and resting there. 100%. Willie, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of that. Um, I'm also kind of seeing a lot of two polar ends of this whole thing. I mean, on a district level, I'm seeing a lot more acknowledgement, a lot more things coming down from the district and um, superintendent level, board level, seeing stuff like, we acknowledge you, we're happy you're here, we're happy we have queer educators, students, uh, families in this district. But then on the opposite end, I'm seeing a lot more um, emboldenment by caregivers. And and that's not a bad thing. I like when caregivers come in and know what they want for their child's education. And that's a great thing. But there's a lot more emboldenment of caregivers feeling like they need to understand every part of who I am. And that if they're coming in and they need to know um, my sexuality, needing to know my gender identity, they need to know what my, if, if it's not cisgender, straight or white, what that's going to mean with how I form their child's education and what I'm going to be doing next, what, I hate this word, but indoctrination I'm going to be doing with their child education. So it's interesting because I, like I said, I love that people are coming in to preschool with an idea of what they want their child to learn, but it's hard because it's becoming an uh, invalidation of who I am. And what I'm going to be doing for their students. 
No, that's really interesting. And like, it feels like what you're talking about is that like caregivers and parents, I think are feeling like owed your like identity in like kind of a gross intrusive way. And I don't love that trend. Um, Josh, do you have anything to add to this? I think one of the things that comes to mind for me when I think about the past couple of years is how not only have trans kids and trans youth been under attack and then by extension folks who support them, but queer teachers have also um, been very visible in the news and on these viral social media, like alt-right accounts. Content that I have made for TikTok has been posted on libs of TikTok before. Um, there's a lot of harm and and um, a lot of mental exhaustion that comes from that. But it reminds me that unfortunately, for me, I am very vague publicly with what my role is and where I work, specifically for that reason, so that I don't have people going to my employer or knowing who my boss is or knowing where my work address is. And you know, I don't think it should be the case that queer and trans teachers need to have that level of anonymity when they're, you know, educating other folks on social media or, or writing a paper or presenting at a conference or whatever. But I think, unfortunately, that is definitely the reality right now, as those sorts of viral accounts continue to do a lot of harm um, to trans and queer teachers in particular, especially with the misuse of the word groomer. Um, I'm not sure when that word became latched on to like anti-racist and queer inclusive education, right? That whole idea of someone mentioned it earlier, indoctrination or grooming and just that's that's like the word I feel like keeps coming up in the past couple of years. And it's you do have like brilliant inclusive education and like wonderful things happening in silos and pockets and bubbles on this side but then like what the public sees who don't know about those things is like all of the trash that I've been talking about for the past couple of minutes and that that sort of like weird dichotomy between the two is really tough to navigate even in New York City I feel like people's perception of what New York City schools are is that it's like this beacon of inclusivity. And, um, you know, I was really thrilled to hear that some of you feel like pronoun use feels like so much more commonplace than it did, you know, even just five years ago. But that's not reflected for me and the schools and school districts I worked in in the city. People are not sharing personal pronouns. It's not a regular practice. I don't see people having any sort of fluency with with using pronouns that aren't she, her, he, him. I, I know that there are, are are pockets of good things happening in our schools in New York City. And I unfortunately have not been a part of those pockets. Um, I continue to think that it's both, it's good work for me to be doing. And it is also really exhausting work. And I have to continually like navigate the balance of taking care of myself and also knowing that I'm in a position where I can make things easier for kids or other um, staff. So I'm right there with you on the they them struggle bus. <laughs> it is uh, a constant thing that is, uh, yeah, just people just not being as as fluent in it as you want them to be. I also think the things to add, like, and to um, hop on to what Emmy was talking about of like kids coming out so much sooner and more because the work that I do is mostly in virtual spaces and uh, nationwide. So I'm talking to kids from all different parts of the country mostly. And I'm just seeing so many more like groups dedicated to queer and trans kids. And like, I don't think I'd ever gotten a performance gig strictly for queer and trans children before 2021. And like, I've done like hundreds of schools and libraries. And that that was just kind of like an interesting thing that I've seen as like a difference coming into like this year in particular. And then Josh, to what you were talking about, like with the word groomer being used. I mean, in 2016, when I started queer kids stuff, I mean, the word pedophile, I have like a 
50 different spellings of it on my block list. And that's like the word that was being used at the time. And now it's kind of like shifted over to like talking about groomer as like a different term. And I don't know exactly when that shift happened, but it feels very recent. And I'm not sure what the purpose was. Branding, maybe. <laughs> um, in like the most insidious sense of that word. But uh, yeah, there's been some interesting, interesting changes and shifts over the last couple of years. So so thank you for um, for chatting about that for a second. And now we're going to switch gears to something much, <laughs> much happier and more positive. I would love to hear some wins from the last year, the last couple of years, just from the classroom, from your educational spaces. What are some like good moments that have stood out? Because I think it's easy to kind of keep talking about what's been really hard, but I want to make sure that we're remembering the joy because that's so much of like why we're doing all of this and why we're trying to live in our authenticity in these spaces. So um, I would love to hear, Josh, do you have any wins you want to share? Sure. Um, well, as recently as this week, um, it was International Pronouns Day. And so I sent an email to the other folks I work with in my district office, um, acknowledging the day and giving them some resources about sharing pronouns, using pronouns, why we do it, websites to practice using pronouns, along with some sort of stats with the rationale based on the GLSEN school climate survey with just how trans and queer kids are feeling at school and why this work of making kids feel safe and supportive is important. And I was really excited by the response from the district staff um, because it did cause a little shift in um, five or six other folks to start including their pronouns in the signature. And I mean, to Emmy's point, I do feel like some people land there and stay there as the point of feeling like they really did something. And I know that there's more work to do, but, you know, even that being a step when, you know, they weren't doing it before felt good. And the, the other exciting thing was that Again, the superintendent then blasted my email with my permission because I did share a couple of personal things, one of which just being like, stop saying that you don't have trans educators and trans kids in your schools because like, hey, <laughs> you know, now that I'm in the district position and, and work in multiple schools, you know, to sort of like squash that mentality of we don't need to do this work because we don't have people like that here, right? So that was a really, really great thing. And the other great thing that came out of that is the next day when I went and visited a school, that building leader um, pulled me into her office. And at first I was like, oh, because she had a very serious look on her face. I was like, this is about the email and she looks unhappy. Um, but she sat down and she said, I'm so grateful that you are, are here and you know, all of the things that you've shared with me so far this year and the things that you've sent to district leadership that the superintendent has sent out have been really helpful for me. And, and she, you know, disclosed some things about, you know, family members and friends that had previously been very confusing to her that she felt uncomfortable asking and didn't bother doing the work of educating herself until somebody like me came along. But the the point, you know, that I'm trying to make is that it had an impact and she appreciated it. And so even if that's just one leader, you know, reflecting on on one thing that, you know, reminds me of why, why we do what we do. And that's, you know, the kind of thing that will keep me motivated and, and engaged and, and the visibility that I have in this role. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Emmy, do you have any wins you want to share? I think my wins are the relationships that I have still with my former students. Um, they still reach out to me. They still like send me the pictures of the projects they're working on and just like stay connected, you know, like it just shows you that a year later of like not being with them, those relationships are real and authentic. And that's really important to me. And I would also say continuing to, you know, engage in, in things like this, right? Like spaces that center queer and trans folks and um, making sure that folks have spaces where they feel like they can talk about things and learn, right? Um, so I run, um, you know, the Instagram Indigenizing Arts Ed. And I really appreciate when people feature my work in multiple overlapping spaces, right? So like in queer and trans spaces and in Native spaces and in art spaces, right? And that like my wholeness is brought into all of those things. Those are my wins for the year. Yeah. Mm, fantastic. Willie, what are your wins? I love working with young children. And I, I think, Lynn, you'll understand this because it's so easy for them. It's it's not the kids that don't understand. It's always the adults. But with the kids, 
I sub. So I'm in a new classroom every day. And I walk in, same as I always do, wearing nail polish, wearing whatever I decide to wear. And no less than two or three minutes in, I'll get the question from one of the kids like, you have nails. And I'm like, yes, I do have nails. Uh, They're also painted, but I do have nails. (laughs) It's it's always, the first question is always, but you're not a girl. I, I know. I know. I'm a boy. But I like the colors. It's fun. They're like, okay. They walk away. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. I love working with the little kids. It's, it's a win always because it's never an issue with them. Despite what people would uh, like to believe, children ask if I have a girlfriend or a wife two to three times a day. And it's always, I always look at them like, no, I tell them I have a boyfriend. I don't, but I do. I tell them um, that way. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And they just walk away. It's not hard for them. And that's that for me, that's a win because it's always reaffirming for me. It's reaffirming for them. It's for me knowing that, hey, at least here, this is going to continue and this is going to get better. Beautiful. All right. I want to turn from the present and look toward the future a little bit. Let's look toward that horizon and talk about what a vision for you is for queer and trans educators and a queer and trans lens on education and like, what do you wish was different, but also like, what are we building toward for a future of educational spaces? Um, Yeah. Willie, let's start with you. Um, I would love a future where I don't have to worry about coming out, not because I can't or I don't, but because it doesn't matter or it doesn't matter to other people. It matters to me and it can be whatever I want to celebrate and explore. But me having a picture of myself and a partner on my desk is not going to bother somebody. It's not going to elicit questions. It's going to be just as normal as somebody else having a picture of themselves and their partner on their desk. Beautiful. I love that for you. Okay. Um, Josh, what's your vision for the future? I think one of my big hopes is that in the future, we will continue to work to decenter cis gender being normal or being the central or being the default. I think that work is really important, particularly in schools, which are such heavily gendered spaces historically, and it can be difficult for folks to break out of that. Um, even when it shows up in the little ways like teachers shifting their language practice away from calling their class boys and girls, which happened like five or six times on Friday morning when I was visiting kindergarten classes in a school. So that's definitely one hope. And then another hope just on a personal note is that I would love for cisgender folks understanding of gender to be so flexible that they can see me with big dangly earrings and a face of makeup wearing a dress leading professional learning at their school and know that I could be a man. Um, But the reality is that um, that's not really the case. So for now, what I would love for them is to stop calling me a man anyway, when I show up dressing and presenting that way, because it, again, the, the they, them struggle buses (laughs) is a big one. Yeah, let's get like a more complex and nuanced understanding of gender in the mainstream. That would be great. (laughs) We'll get there. Emmy, what are your hopes and dreams for the future? I dream of a time when teaching and learning is not about assimilation, not just with regard to gender and sexuality and identities, right, but also with racism, right, with this rootedness in white supremacy and settler colonialism. I dream of a time when our young people can show up and just be the selves that they are, that they're not harmed in school. You know, culturally, they're not harmed. Their spirits are intact when they get home, right? As opposed to school being this place that harms them continually. We need to move on from this idea that we have of schools and how they function too. Like, I just don't think that schools are positive anymore. I think that there are sites of violence now and have been for many hundreds of years. And so I think that we need to undo our ideas of school and schooling. And so I just dream of a time when teaching and learning can be rooted in authentic relationships and honoring people's home culture and honoring people's whole selves. So just undoing schools as sites of assimilation and undoing schools generally. They were founded as sites of assimilation. And so that's my dream. Beautiful. And I think like what I love about all of those answers is that we got really micro and talking just like about gendered 
language when we're taking kids to the bathroom, right? But we're also talking like big macro systems overhaul, because I think that both are equally true. And something that Key um, Gross was talking about in our keynote earlier this week was about the prison industrial complex and how schools are um, basically modeled after prison systems and looking at that pipeline. And I think that that really spoke to me, Emmy, and, and echoing that, what he was talking about and um, thinking about unschooling and also thinking about that at intersecting with gender ideas and gender systems. And I think that it's all interconnected. So I, I really loved all of your answers. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm going to open it up to audience questions or comments, anything that resonated with you throughout the panel. Um, I do think we had a little bit of a question, Josh, about um, the email that you were talking about. I would love to hear a little bit more about what was in the email. Um, and if you can just like speak to that a little bit more, I think there was someone who was asking for a little bit more detail as uh, potentially using something like that as a tool within their own district. So I I just sent an email to district leaders in the office who acknowledging the day, even though I had sent some other emails before that about other, you know, things regarding queer inclusive education, but just acknowledging the day, um, the purpose of the day, it's the third Wednesday of every November. And from there, I pulled some of the like, key points from the GLSEN um, school climate survey about how queer youth were feeling at school in terms of, of safety and some of the findings from that survey. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was something like 70% of queer youth who considered dropping out listed because um, teachers were unsupportive. You know, I do feel like sometimes even if people come from a place of support, they need without that kind of information, they're less hesitant to take action. So I did include a little bit of that. And then I linked resources from GLSEN and um, a few other spots just about how you can respect people's pronouns, how you can share your own places that you can introduce yourselves with them. And then at the end, I just slipped in with, you know, I understand that especially in elementary settings, we often think that this doesn't matter because this is something that we should talk about when kids are older. And I just, you know, said it like, kids tell us who they are when they feel ready to tell us who they are. And sometimes they don't tell us who they are, even though they're ready because we haven't made it feel safe for them. And then, you know, little last line before the best <laughs> um, closing of the email was just, you know, also stop saying that there, we don't have folks on staff who, who also identify this way. And I put a little tongue in cheek emoji there too, because I said, Hey, it's me. And then I sent the email. That was it. Again, coming from an enormous place of privilege. I have tenure in the district and, and, and I'm in this new position. So I work directly for a district superintendent. So I, I'm acknowledging that my positionality is a lot different than maybe if I were a teacher on a grade level in a school or if I didn't have tenure. Um, the one thing I will say about going into the school year with my doctorate too is just the weird sort of artificial layer of respect that people will give you when you have that title in front of your name. Like, I feel like if I had said some of the things I'm saying this year, a year ago, people would have just been like, Meh. and because of that, you know, which that's a whole separate conversation about, you know, some of the the problems that we have with like hierarchy of how we assume folks knowledge and their expertise. But um, again, all of those things also factor into how I'm perceived and what I say. Beautiful. Thank you for writing the email and for walking us through that. That's all. It's, it takes a lot of effort to put stuff like that together, especially with all those really horrifying statistics sometimes from all of these large organizations. Um, so I appreciate you walking through that and also providing the context of um, your situation, because I think that that is um, very important to make sure you're thinking about when you're potentially taking a risk and uh, emailing a lot of people with power. <laughs> um, so I appreciate that. Uh, we do have one question in the chat. What are some things that you would like to see or have seen to support queer and trans teachers in your experience, not just by admin, but in communities or through others? Does anyone want to speak to that? Some things that you would like to see or have seen that support queer and trans teachers in particular? I would like to see teachers and admin that are not queer or trans take the initiative 
So oftentimes the work of educating others falls on us. You know, like I was tasked with creating a basically like a cultural competency guide for my school and other folks jumped in to help that work. Right. But I had to do it. Right. I had to start it. I had to get it done or it wouldn't have happened. Right. The like professional development and like the initiative wouldn't have been there. So think, or like starting GSA, right? GSA didn't exist at my school before I was there. And then I started it, right? So it's like, I would appreciate when something doesn't affect you that you take the initiative to support in a way that maybe you don't have the knowledge to like be the person who's the expert on the content, right? But you can like start the work, right? Like maybe you can be the person that initiates the meetings or whatever, right? Like I just feel like the brunt of the work always falls on us. And so it would be helpful for it to not on top of everything else. And then also, right, like do the work so that you are also, even if you are not queer or trans, you are also an adult that young queer and trans kids can come to. They shouldn't always only feel safe to come to us. They should also feel safe to come to you. So I would say like, do the work that you need to do to make your classroom or your office or your hallway duty, a safe space for somebody to come to, you know, confide in, talk to, have an authentic relationship with, like the kids should not have to leave half of themselves at the door, you know, like they should feel safe with you to be able to show up completely. Beautiful. And we just had a reaction to that in the chat from someone who's straight cis parent coordinator put up a bunch of posters of different LGBTQ plus figures in history during their pride month. And it was like really touching. Um, and I can totally see how like that kind of allyship that's like tangible, right, is really, really important. And uh, not only like touches like queer and trans teachers, but like is kid facing as well. And I think is meaningful in that way of like, how can we be allies, but also how can we be like comrades and like put ourselves at risk for people and, and a community that is shouldering so much emotional labor. Um, anyone else have um, any answers to that question of like what you would like to see or anything you have seen um, in support of queer and trans educators and teachers in your experience? I would like to echo what Emmy shared, you know, all of these great conversations that are happening in the school district I'm working in this year, I don't think would be happening if I wasn't there pushing it out and tucking it in. I'm not in a role that has anything to do with like being a, a DEI point or anything like that. My work is around literacy instruction, but you know, I am tucking it in and I don't think it would be happening if I, if I wasn't the person saying it out loud and and sharing resources. I also would really love to see school districts have more affinity groups for for folks. Mm. And it's it's something that I'm thinking about in the position that I found myself in if I could, you know, make that logistically work because I think community is really important. And I, I think that that could be a, a powerful space. Absolutely. I mean, that, I think that's something we've been learning just throwing this conference. <laughs> and uh, we also did a support group earlier today that I think, um, I, I hope was uh, helpful to a lot of people in just like being in a virtual space with a lot of other queer and trans educators. Like, I just think that that's unfortunately rare, um, or at least that's what it sounds like. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we've been able to do that, make that space happen. But I'm also like, I'm so excited for like other spaces like this to hopefully start popping up despite the lack of resources provided to queer and trans educators. Um, Willie, I think you had something you wanted to add as well. Um, yes, it echoes something Emmy said earlier as well. Um, I don't have to hear every complaint. It's not going to be beneficial for me. It's not going to be beneficial for, for anybody. If there's somebody coming to administration or coming to, to somebody else about an issue they're having related to my gender or sexuality, it's not going to be beneficial to anybody that I hear it. So if, if we can have admin or, or some kind of buffer system, that would be really helpful as well. Beautiful. And that gets me into kind of starting to wrap things up. I'm really curious about, especially since knowing that this is a room of mostly queer and trans educators, what are some resources you've used to kind of like help you deal with these moments? And also what are resources that you like wish that you had available to you if they like don't exist yet? I know earlier I said, stay off social media, but um, 
Instagram's been a really amazing place for me to find and connect with people who um, share identities with me or just live in this realm of queer and trans identity. And it's been an amazing place that I can create my own personal affinity groups um, where we're able to support each other, even if we're not remotely near each other Um, um, and support each other, come to each other with issues, talk things through. And honestly, Instagram's a really easy place to do it. Um, I would say use Twitter or some other kind of social media, but really Instagram, the, the people I've been able to connect with, I mean, I've been on there for four years, but even just within that first six months I was doing this or two or three months, it's been amazing. There's so many amazing people on there that are going to help you make you feel good, make you feel better and really make you feel um, important and uh, valid. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, or maybe I'm just not following the right people, but I feel like the really big accounts that are sharing resources for queer and trans folks, the majority of them that get a lot of attention are white folks. I think that there just needs to be some visibility for folks that are not white, um, you know, hearing those perspectives and those um, experiences too, right? Because we experience, you know, homophobia, transphobia, but then we also experience racism from fellow queer and trans folks, you know, who are white or, or like, depending on your group, right? Like, you know, black folks experience a lot of anti-blackness and right, et cetera. So it's like, there just needs to be like a lot more hype for the folks that are doing, it's like double duty, you know, because you're doing the work of like educating folks from this worldview that you can see in multiple ways, you know? Yeah. Just wanting to amplify the folks that are doing really good work, like well, kindergarten, right? If I know y'all are featured this weekend um yeah so that's what i would say i feel like we're living in like queer kid lit renaissance and there's just so many great picture books and middle grade books that have trans characters queer characters trans and queer family members again i I do think to emmy's point a lot of them do often focus on white narratives that said there are i do see more and more um queer kid lit that that is also centering people of color which is also great you know like growing up I never saw you know we just we 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 have books that we didn't have even like five ten definitely 15 20 years ago and it's just so exciting to see Beautiful. Thank you for sharing those resources and big yes to um, kid lit books. Um, actually does anyone do we want to just like do a quick roundtable of like your favorite queer kid lit books? Julian is a mermaid. Absolutely. That's a fun one. Josh, did you have one? I recently read, and I also am trying to think and make sure I get the title right. I think it's called like Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World. It's a middle grade book. um, And I can't remember the author's name right now either, but it was a really wild and fun story. And again, I think as we think about like what queer voices are shared in that queer kid led. This is a great one because it is about a young girl who has a crush on, on another girl. And I don't, I I think that so often we center gay men and a lot of those, those narratives. So. Fantastic. Emmy, did you think of one? No, I'm not like super well versed in, in the literature. So I think most of the books that I'm reading by in fact, all of them right now that I'm reading by queer authors are adults. So I'm not thinking of anything for young people right now. That's totally okay. Um, from queer kid stuff, we love Kyle Lukoff's books. We love anything from Maya Gonzalez and Reflection Press. We also love anything from Esper Bergman and Flamingo Rampant. There's uh, 48,000 Beads, which is uh, written by Two-Spirit and about a Two-Spirit child. I believe. Um, and Kape Mahu is also wonderful. Uh, yeah, there's there's a ton of amazing queer and trans kid lit books that are about queer and trans kids and families, and also written by queer and trans authors, um, which I think is incredibly important. Um, Kernan is also shouting out Beyond the Gender Binary by Alok Vade Menon. And I think that that's a book for adults, but we love Alok. Alok is amazing. Um, and My Rainbow by Trinity and Deshaun Neal, which is about a Black trans autistic child written by a mother-child duo that we love. Um, so those are wonderful, wonderful resources. Um, I would love to just round table. Where can we find you on the internet? What are you up to right now? How can folks in the audience support you? Um, I am on Instagram at Indigenizing Arts Ed, so folks can find me there. And I have some upcoming workshops, so hopefully folks will join those. 
I'm, I want to take your storytelling workshop. I'm very excited about that one. I think I saw that that's coming up soon. Josh, where can we find you on the internet? I am on Instagram and TikTok at not joshing with you. Beautiful. And Willie, I know that you said you're a little bit off social media, but where can we find you and support your work? Um, I'm on Instagram at Mr. Willie underscore pre-K. That's where most of my stuff goes. I do presentations and stuff all the time. So if I'm doing anything, it pops up on there. Fantastic. Thank you so much to all of our incredible panelists. Uh, this has been just <laughs> a wonderful and I think affirming space for me. And I hope folks in the audience would agree with that. Um, so big, big applause for everyone. And thank you so much for joining us. So I hope you all enjoyed the conference. I hope you all enjoyed this panel. And I hope to see you all around again. I'm going to play myself out. Oh, my goodness. What a beautiful, beautiful that conversation that was. I'm so, so glad that Josh and Willie and Emmy were able to join us for the Queer Teachers Rock Conference panel and get to talk about all these just really important things uh, that are happening in the education world for queer and trans folks. So I hope you enjoyed getting to see a little bit of what the conference was about and hearing from a panel of incredible queer and trans educators who are really in it right now. Uh, so I hope you liked the episode. As always, you can help support the podcast by going to our Queer Kids Stuff Patreon page and becoming a member. Members can come to the Teddy's Book Club later this week for free. If you aren't a member, don't want to become a member, you can still sign up for the event through our Eventbrite page for just $10. Our Patreon support is just $5 a month or $50 a year. So please, please, please go and uh, help us make more cool content and bring cool people onto the podcast like the folks who are on this panel. You can find us at Queer Kid Stuff on every social media. You can find me at Linz Amer, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R, all over social media. One more thing, we're going on a little bit of a hiatus for the back half of November. So we're going to be skipping the next two weeks and we'll be back with new episodes, the last couple episodes of the season in December. So keep an eye on your feed for that. I think that's it. Talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzia.